You're now tuned into the Fully Booked Podcast with Mace, French and Pox. Enjoy the listen. Where to go? Tell me where to go. Welcome to part two of the best of hashtag fully book meets. We kick off with um, Alex Manzi. Really enjoyed this interview. If you don't know already, Alex Manzi is the man behind the podcast Dreamers Disease, which I would advise you all to go and check out. Alex has also been at the London Podcast Festival for the last couple of years. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, is currently actually on his travels somewhere in South America. So I'm wishing him all the best wherever he is. But yeah, get, get ready for a really, really impactful interview into the mind, into depression, into mental health. Yeah, Dreamers Disease is basically like um, a podcast that I started, which initially was to help motivate people who felt a bit lost in like their work-wise and their life and like hearing stories of people who were kind of doing things that I found quite inspiring within like music or entrepreneurship or whatever. But then as the podcast has developed, it's become more like about wellness and lifestyle and hearing mm-hmm. the stories behind and the journeys behind what the person does. So like I'll speak to a lot of, you know, influencers and in inverted mm-hmm. commas, like people who on YouTube or people like Shocker who make music or Hussein Manawa, who's a poet slash artist, you know, Slumflower, people like that who are doing amazing things in the world but it's like more it's less about their what they do and more about their journey behind it and what they've kind of um experienced like with the ups and the downs and mental health and how they you know battle with social media and what their morning routines might be or what their self-care routines are and stuff like that and it's kind of a bit more kind of wholesome rather than just focused on like the career side it's a bit more like lifestyle based yeah a lot of your, I mean, you mentioned mental uh, awareness and health. I know you've obviously battled through certain things. Like, how do you find, I guess, reading helps you with your, like, any battles that you do have? A lot, man. Like, to be honest, reading helped me because it, it kind of just puts me in a space when I'm reading as a, as a, an action. Mm-hmm. You know, it puts me in a space where I'm not really thinking about anything else other than what I'm reading, <clears throat> and I can sense the days where my head's a bit more all over the place because I have to read the page a few more times than I normally do. Whereas when I'm fully like in the moment and lost in the pages, like the, the you just turn in the pages and you're flying through a book. So that as a whole was like amazing for me. But then the type of books I was reading as well was like, you know, biographies, um, autobiographies, um, self-help, self-development books. Mm-hmm. So all kind of in that world of like, again, being inspired by other people's stories or, getting direct kind of information through the books to kind of help understand my own mindset, but then how to kind of stay on top of it as well. How would, um, so I'm going to assume here that dreamers disease was almost born out of things you went through in your life. Yeah. Am, am I correct in saying that? For sure. So when did, when did, wh- when did the concept come about? When did you think, so it's obviously you've been through, I don't know if you want to say on air kind of when you say mental health, like how or what, what troubled you, what, what brought it about if you know, but then how do you then think, I want to reach this out, I want to reach out to people and speak to people. How does how was the podcast born out of that? And when did you start it? So well, I started it two years, well, just over two years ago. So yeah. 2017, I think it was around like April time. Mm-hmm. Um, 
way before that <laughs> um, was when I kind of went through my real kind of like depression um, and had almost like a... So I basically spent a, a lot of my life leading up to that point when I was 26. Mm-hmm. So I was like, quick maths. No, I was, I, was, <laughs> I was younger, I was younger. I was 25, so six years ago, maybe more. No, I reckon it's more, seven years ago. Okay. Um, all of my life up until that point was about trying to please and serve other people. Yeah. And everything I was doing, be it work, be it, you know, even stuff I was doing outside of work, like I had a blog and a club night and all this stuff was serving other people and trying to like impress other people and it wasn't focused on me and I got to a point where I just felt I just everything was just numb like everything Mm. was just I just felt like everything was dull and I was just sort of like floating through life and I just didn't I didn't know but I didn't I I wasn't aware that that's how I felt Mm -hmm. until the moment where I actually admitted it for the first time which was when I was with an ex-girlfriend and we were having some arguing about something stupid I can't even remember and we basically we were in her bedroom she was sat at the counter I was sat on the edge of the bed and she was well, I can't even remember what we were arguing about she was going on and on and we were going back and forth back and forth back and forth and she just turned around to me at one point and she was like why aren't you saying anything and I was just looking at her like I don't know what you mean like, I was just looking like what and she was like why aren't you saying anything why aren't you saying anything and something just happened in that moment where I just like realised that I was actually just sat there in my own thoughts, having the argument with her in my head in terms of like, she was saying what she was saying, but I wasn't saying what I was saying out loud. I was just saying it in my head. Mm -hmm. But to me, I was in the moment, like I was there having that argument. So when the penny dropped, I kind of just like burst into tears Mm -hmm. and straight away her energy changed to like, oh, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong? And literally all I could say, the only words I could get out were like, I don't feel like myself, I don't feel like myself. And that was kind of like, the first time I'd admitted to myself, let alone out loud, mm-hmm. that there was something wrong. And that set me off on this path of like then wanting to better myself. But it took me like another like year, year and a half to like come to the point of like, okay, shit, this is what this is what's happening. I really need to like work on stuff. So it was like a year and a half after that where I then started getting into books and podcasts. Um, and that journey took me on to then wanting to start my own podcast. Mm. So coming back to the point of why the podcast started was because I was in a space where I wanted to share my part of my story but also hear other people's stories and like I said at first I wasn't going super deep in terms of like the mental health side of it and the the lifestyles and the wellness side of it it was more surface stuff because I was probably to be honest I was probably a bit scared to dive that deep because I was still exploring that side of myself so it was always a bit more like oh so this is what you do for your career how did you get into that oh and what did you do when you left uni and you left uni and then what did you do you got an intern job and then mm. you got your intern job it was more like that kind of conversation mm-hmm. But at some point, it's, it, the, the, it's funny because the podcast has developed with me as mm-hmm. a person. So like if you go back and listen, listen to episode one, which is with my, my good friend BJ, to like episode, you know, 100, for example. Yeah. It's two different, it's two different things, man. So I was going to ask, what specific books did you read or have read whilst like going through when you're in a bad place? Um, specific book that you can say I recognise that in helping me elevate where I was from a dark place to a good one yeah I think there's been different stages there's been different books along the way that I've read that have just really resonated with me like there's not like one book that I'll go to when I'm in a bad place (coughs) because I just always move on with the next book or finish reading whatever I'm reading but the books that have resonated with me the most um, Celestine Prophecy 
Um, any, anyone read that? I haven't. No, 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 I've not heard of it. It's it's a sick book. It's I think it's like Jay Z's favorite book or something like. It's, okay. But it's like it's a bit similar to The Alchemist, where okay. it's a fictional story, but it yeah, has like yeah, a very yeah. spiritual messaging behind it about life and stuff. Cool. So that was, a, that was a very good book that kind of at the time really resonated with me. There was another one called The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, which is again a very similar book to Celestine Prophecy, a story. Was that by Paulo Coelho? Um, no, Where the Peaceful Warrior is by a guy called Dan Millman. Okay. But it's a sick book as well. Yeah. Um, and then the other one that I've read more recently is, it's a bit deeper, but by Jiddu Krishnamurti, mm-hmm. who's like an Indian philosopher. He's not even, he doesn't even call himself a philosopher, but he was a philosopher. Yeah. Um, and he's just like super, everything he talks about is just like life and just how everything's connected and just like super deep. And it's like at the, at the time of what I was going through, which was most recently, that's what I needed to be reading. Mm-hmm. And I always find that like whatever book it is I pick up is the book that I need to be reading at that time. Yeah. So I've always got like a stack on my shelf of like maybe 10 books that I haven't read yet. And when I finish one book, I'll look at the stack and whichever one pops out to me the most, I'll pick that up and start reading it. Mm-hmm. And it's always the book that I need to be reading. It's so mad how it works. I, I've never, I don't think I've ever really suffered from anxiety mm. and nor depression. I'm just thinking, is it something you can pinpoint back to your childhood? Is it something that just developed and evolved once you got older? Like, can you pin, does it run yeah. in the family? I don't know. I mean, I don't think it runs in the family. Yeah. That, I'm pretty sure it doesn't. I mean, I come from a, a family of Italian immigrants. So like my grandparents came over from Italy. So like, they were very like strong-minded in terms of like survival Okay. Do you know what I mean? Survival mode. Like we need to survive. We need to make money. We need. So they're like old school graft mentality. So yeah. for them, any emotions, anything, we, any hard yeah, comments, yeah. they just brush it off. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like so, they were probably more. They were able to deal with feelings of depression easier because they shirked them, which to me isn't the best way to deal with them. But for them, it worked because they were so much in survival. Um, and then my parents are probably like one step below that. Whereas our generation, we're we're more exposed to everything because of things like social media, because of, you know, not even that, just like TV, just life in general. We're more exposed to everything. So we're, we become more aware of more things. And I think through that, you know, growing up, like, I had a very good, like, upbringing with my family, like live in a good area. Like, mm-hmm. I, can't, I, can't, I can't pick a moment or a thing in, in my childhood that I could say, oh, yeah, that would have been the cause. I just think it's the way that we've been brought up through society and the way society deems that we should be living our lives and you should do this and you should do that and it's like i'm someone who i like to do what i want to do and if i if i'm not doing what i want to do then i feel like i'm lost and that's where the anxiety comes and that's that's where the depression came from i was living a life that i didn't really want to be living i was working in advertising which was a good job Mm -hmm. you know i was still living at home but working advertising had like my own car I was able to buy nice things. I was able to go on nice holidays and I was just doing all this like, can I swear? Yeah, yeah, yeah. cool. I was doing all this shit that I just wasn't that bothered about, but I was doing it because I thought that's what everyone wanted me to be doing. Mm. And the more I went down this route, the more it's I the just- normal, normal. Yeah, exactly. I just yeah, became, yeah. I just got stuck in this hole that I didn't even know. It was like, it's like being stuck in quicksand without even realizing you're in the quicksand. Mm. Then all of a sudden you're up to it, yeah, up to your neck, neck and you're yeah. like, oh fuck, like what's happening? And it's like, it's a mad feeling, but. I just feel like it's that that growing up through the society that we've been brought up in, and again looking at the 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 culture that I grew up in in North London, like Italian community in North London, like a lot of that is rooted in like 
success and like being successful and you know all of the families that I grew up around were all successful families because they had their own businesses be it cafes or sandwich mm -hmm. bars or restaurants mm -hmm. or you know it was all food based funnily enough but <laughs> like everyone was successful what successful when they do and all the parents still pretty much do it yeah and they still have the success and that's why they were able to bring up their kids in a good environment and all that sort of stuff but that puts pressure on the kids to then try and replicate that and it's that's not what I want not job wise mm -hmm. but just I don't I don't associate my life with money and how much money yeah. I earn. So I mean, and that those pressures, like, I feel like force you into a certain way. And it's like, that's not how I, I want to be free. I want to be like a little mm. butterfly that floats about, does whatever mm. I want to do whenever I want to do it. And it's like, the, the less I'm able to do that, the more the kind of anxiety and all that kicks in. Mm. And the anxiety, just to go back to that, because you were saying yeah. you hadn't experienced it, so to cut you off, but is like, it's just like a, it's just like, I can't even explain it, man. It's just like constant fear. It's constant worrying. It's constant like there's just something there that you just, you feel out of control and you just feel like you don't know what's happening or you don't know what's going to happen. You just, and you just start overthinking everything and you start looking into everything too much. And it's just like this constant like churning of like worry and fear and doubt. And it's, it's horrible, man. I know you've done a post and uh, episode on your podcast in regards to books and that what yeah. your your top recommended ones. Yeah. Mm -hmm. With our audience, could you kind of give some of your top recommended books that you would kind of suggest to anyone to read? Um, yeah, it's the three I said earlier. So mm. I, I think did I think all three of those made it into that episode. So yeah, um, where the peaceful warrior and Celestine prophecy I'd put in the same bucket because they're basically the same book with a different story. Mm -hmm. um, um, Krishnamurti the one that I read was um, The Awakening of Intelligence but there's another one called Freedom from the Known which is probably a better one to start with because it's a bit shorter okay. and it's less deep it's a bit more easy to, to get into in terms of like the, the, the way it actually reads they're quite difficult because The Awakening of Intelligence is like a literal transcripts from his talks and conversations so his English is like broken English. It doesn't read that well. Mm -hmm. Whereas Freedom from the Known is a bit more like better edited, basically. Um, Tools of Titans, Tim Ferriss. It's just a sick book. Like it's just full of gems. It's just like the best, the best uh, parts from the best interviews of his podcast, which is like one of the best podcasts. So mm -hmm. just full of gems. Um, Mask of Masculinity, Lewis House is a sick book. Mm -hmm. Um, trying to, I quite enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I enjoyed the the simpler reads with not the words. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm the, <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's what I like about it. It's not, it's yeah. not like it's not a massively in depth book. Yeah. Mm. Like, intense. Not it's not intense. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 written very simply. Yeah, like it's, if I wrote a book, that's literally how it would sound. Yeah, so it's yeah. like really easy to yeah. kind of flick through. You have written a book though, right? A audio e, -book, e book. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, um, I released it at the start of the year. How did that come about? Um, I don't actually know, to be honest. I So basically, I, I, I send out like a weekly newsletter, email, and I always write, do a different write-up based on like the previous week's podcast episode. So mm -hmm. whether the main theme has been within that episode, I'll do like a little write-up myself about it, tie in some of my experience and stuff like that. So I've got all of these like write-ups just sitting on like my Google Drive. Mm -hmm. And I was just sat there thinking, like, what can I do with these? I've got so many of them. Like, I must be able to, like, put them out again. 
So I came up with this idea of writing an ebook, which was like about daily habits, basically, because I got two things that I always talk about. A is just positivity in general, and B is the one percent rule of like always looking to bet yourself by one percent every day. Mm-hmm. And like the more you do that over a long, consistent period of time, you know, <laughs> the results speak for themselves. So I try to factor in what are the things that I've written about that fit into that idea of positivity and making a positive change in life and the 1% rule. So I basically pulled together some of my write-ups and just used those as like the body of the ebook and then fleshed out the rest around it, like a bit of an intro, had to write up a couple of extra chapters, had to like reword, re-edit some of the write-ups so they fit within the context of a book. Mm -hmm. I put exercises at the end of each chapter that people can try for themselves. Um, I designed it all myself, like the the front cover, like the layout of it. Just basically did the whole thing myself, mm-hmm. and then put it out at the start of the year. And it's called um, Daily Positive. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and then it's like habits. Um, I can't remember the taglines. Like habits to do every day to make a positive change in your life. Something like that. I can't actually remember. Yeah. But Daily Positive is the name of it, mm-hmm. and it's free download. And people can just go. All you need to do is put in your email to get it sent to your inbox. Mm-hmm. And it's, I've had some really good feedback on it, like really sure. good. And it was, it was actually a really nice process writing it. Okay. I really enjoyed yeah. that. And it makes me want to like write <clears throat> something else. Whether I'll do that this year, I don't know. I've got a bit of an idea of what I want to write, but it's probably a bit more of a long-term project. So it might take a couple of years to be honest. But yeah, I really enjoyed that, man. It was like, yeah, it was a good, and it's a good way to just reuse content I already had and just exactly. repackage it in a nice way. Mm-hmm. It, it benefited so many people because I did loads of like, sponsored Instagram posts and stuff like that so people who weren't already aware of me and the podcast were finding it and downloading it and then they just I was getting emails from people and DMs from people like oh I just found your ebook like blah 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 so and it wasn't like super massively um, popular like I think it had like 500 people downloaded it but that's like that's, that's amazing man yeah, yeah exactly I, I would have been happy with 10 exactly. <laughs> do you know what I mean so exactly. f- 500 people that they've been hopefully posit- positively impacted mm-hmm. by that is quite a nice thing yeah. I know that you've also got the retro football show yeah. podcast how did that come about and tell us a bit about that as well yeah so I do lots of things as you can as yeah. you can get as you can tell so, right yeah. um, I, 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 do you know what it is I'm, I'll come back to the question and say I'm right. just like dreamers disease is just me in, in, a, in a person right because like that's what I am I've just always got ideas I'm always trying to do something new I'm always wanting to travel somewhere. I'm always wanting to do something or try something. I'm not scared to like do the dirty work or the hard work to try something. So like one of the things I set out last year at the end of the year is that I wanted to learn how to complete a Rubik's Cube. Mm. I literally sat there every day for half an hour practicing, practicing, practicing until I got it down to like under two and a half minutes to complete it. Yeah. And it's like, I'll just practice, practice, practice until I'm at a level where I'm either happy with it or I am just can do it mm-hmm. to a consistent level. Another thing is I just started skateboarding. Yeah, yeah like three that. months ago. We'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. Oh man, my, my hip. I got my back is bad. I got bruises all over my legs. My both wrists are fucked up from falling over. But I love it, man. Again, it's one of those things where you just have to keep going. You have to keep trying. The more you fail, the harder you have to try. The more you fail, the harder you try. The harder you try, the more likely you are to land the trick. Like it's just sick. I love it. Um, but yeah, so Retro Football Show Podcast was another one of these kind of ideas which came about mm. because me and my friend Uche were both working at Radio 1, one extra at the time. Mm-hmm. We were sitting opposite each other. And last summer during the World Cup, every day I, I basically collect football shirts. So 
every day I was coming in in a different football shirt because I wanted to try and wear a different shirt every day whilst the World Cup was on. So it was over like 30 days. What, like, national, national shirt? No, just any, any, any shirts. Any. But what I was yeah, trying to do, I was trying to tie the shirts in to like who was playing that day. So if like Spain were playing, I'd wear a Barcelona shirt. Yeah, yeah, or if yeah, like yeah. Argentina were playing, I'd wear like my Bar- another Barcelona shirt with Messi on the back. Yeah. Like, so I was trying to tie it in just because it made it more interesting for me um, when I was trying to pull out the shirt in the morning because I've got about 80. Um, so yeah, I'd come in every day wearing a shirt and Uche was sitting opposite me and he, we'd, we'd just get talking about football shirts and he'd be like, oh man, I love this shirt. Where's it from? And I'd be like, oh yeah, it's this. And then we started talking about like classic football shirts, the website, and we'd be going on there and sending each other like, oh, have you seen this shirt of like Ajax from 88 or whatever? And we'd just like send each other stuff and we just... We'd end up having like a 20, 30 minute conversation every day across the desk about football shirts one way or the other. And the lady who was sitting next to us, shout out Julie, she was like, oh, do you know what? You guys should like record this as a podcast because it's really funny hearing you talk about football shirts and mm-hmm. like you're so like keen about it. Mm-hmm. Straight away, I was like, that's a great idea. Done. I was like, ding. And literally the next day, I'd like send Uche a logo. <laughs> I sent him the branding. I can't remember the name of the podcast. I was like, bro we got to do this. This will be sick. Let's just sit down. Let's just do a test recording. Let's see how it sounds. And we just did it. We just rolled with it, man. So we're like 30 odd episodes in on that. And yeah, it's good, man. We did a, we did a live show at the Jumpers for Goalpost Festival um, earlier this, when was that? Last month, which was really cool. We got the guys from Classic Football Shirts as our guests, Doug and Matt, um, which is wicked. We're doing another live show at the London Podcast Festival on the 14th of September. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing one with Dreamers Disease as well, same day. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, man, it's just really cool. Like it's just, we sit around for an hour talking about football shirts, man. It's, yeah. it's like, it's super chilled. It's super cool. It's just like one of those things. Mm-hmm. I know you speak about meditation a lot and like these lot like to take the piss I knew you were going to no one it. takes the piss out no, of like, you we was, <laughs> yesterday we, 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 <laughs> we were trying to take the piss anyway anyway <laughs> uh, how did you first get into meditation Um, I don't actually know to be honest like a fr- I think a friend of mine was getting into it and I just I'd started to hear about it quite because obviously it's, it's been like quite a popular thing in the last couple of years three mm. years whatever a friend of mine was getting into it and he just said to me, oh yeah, I've been using this app Headspace. It's cool. Like this is what it does. I was like, sweet. I'm going to, again, it's one of those things that are like, cool. I want to check it out. Go. I'm going to check yeah. it out. I'll give it a go. Mm. I've been addicted to it ever since, man. Wow. Like literally I got, I, I got up to like a hundred because it gives you like um, a counter of like your run streak on the app. I got up to like 195 days um, in a row, like back to back. Yeah. Mad. Um, How long do you meditate for? generally 10 minutes ideally 20 minutes mm. even more ideally longer but I'm struggling with the longer it not like to sit down and do it I'm just fitting it in at the minute and do you do meditation with someone guided meditation or do you just do pure meditation yeah so breathing? so the guided meditation so Headspace is like a guided meditation app um, and there's all different kind of things you can do so there's like ones for stress one for anxiety one for like sport in performance one like all different um topics that they cover um but what i've i'm i'm doing the pro level i think it's called now which is basically like it's unguided Mm. he basically sets you up he says okay do get into the normal routine and then you won't hear him again until like the end when you open your eyes so it's Mm. like 
basically unguided now. How do you find that? Because I've been doing that. I've, I'm doing a like a 21 day course at the moment. Yeah, it's got Opie Winfrey, Oprah Winfrey. Yeah, um, back in. Hmm? Would say Oprah Winfrey's like blessing almost. Like, no, well, it's her talking on okay, oh, okay. The, actual guided meditation, and someone really? else starts talking and kind of leads you into it. Yeah, but he gives, he says, say a mantra, but I always struggle to say what the mantra is. Yeah, and then it's like. I guess about 10, 15 minutes of just you, no guided meditation. You just do it yourself. Like I'm struggling with that at the moment because I'm used to doing it with guided meditation. Yeah. I'm struggling without any guided. So like, how did you find that process in doing it? I think it takes a while to get used to. But yeah. I think the, the common misconception with meditation is that you, you, you aren't thinking while you're meditating. You're just sitting in silence, mm. and that's totally wrong. It's the opposite. You're actually sitting with your thoughts, and you're being more aware of them. You're just trying not to engage in them. So, like, if you're sat there with your eyes closed, and a thought pops into your head about what you're gonna have for dinner, you just see the thought, recognize it, it, and then let it go. And then the next thought will come along. Mm. That's what meditation is, and it's sitting and and f- and the focus on the breath is just something to center you. Um, so I'm so, doing it right then. Yeah, it takes a while. It's just <laughs> it's just hard because we've got busy minds because, mm. again, you open your phone and your brain starts processing 101 things in, in a millisecond. So it's like our brains are used to constantly processing stuff. Whereas when we t- disengage from that and we sit down and tr- we try and sit in silence, it's like, it's hard, man, because mm. your brain's so used to just trying to think and overthink and rethink things. Like it doesn't know how to just exist and just be mm-hmm. and we feel uncomfortable doing that because we're not used to it as well but that's our natural state mm. like when we're born as babies we're not born thinking we're just existing and we're just in this space of being yeah. and that's like that is our natural state that's like if we if we had a button on us that was like reset factory settings that's what we go back to and that's what meditation is it's like tapping into that so yeah it's a hard process to kind of get used to but oh man I love it do you ca- can you carry it throughout the day that feeling because I have that after I've done it it's like a, a peaceful at peace feeling once it's finished but I'm not able to carry it throughout the whole day yeah like, it's back to business kind of thing I think it's hard like I think you you have to what I've started to do is I start to recognize moments within the day that where I also tap into that feeling mm-hmm. like so I'll try and meditate in the morning. Like if I'm really on it, I'll meditate in the morning yeah. because it sets me up with just like a fresh start for the day. Um, and then I'll most definitely do it at the end of the day because it's like I need to, well, I need to unplug from everything that's happened. Mm. So, but during those two periods, like I'll try and find moments where I'm just being more present. So like even if it's just eating my lunch, that like I'll try not to like listen to music or like do too much while I'm eating my lunch I'll literally just sit there just eating my lunch and that's one thing actually I learned in Japan was how how I don't know what the, the right word is but when they're doing something they're like only doing that thing mm. it's like if they're eating they are only eating it's they're like not like a sense of meditation yeah they're not like themselves. it's like being present it's like yeah. uh, it's like real like mindfulness I guess mm. and it's like if they're you know, do you know what I mean? They just yeah, seem to like, yeah, yeah. they just seem to do that one thing. Tunnel like vision one, in that yeah. one thing or action that they're doing. Yeah, so I've just tried to, to like find moments of that throughout my day. Mm. So even if it's like, if I'm writing something for work, like a document, for example, I'll put my phone aside and I just won't try to check it every five minutes mm-hmm. and just try and do that 
thing for five, 10, 15 minutes, however long it is, just do that thing. And you're without recognize without realizing that you're you're kind of meditating because you're in that moment of just doing that one thing and you're only focused on that and that's a kind of it's not meditation really it's probably more mindfulness but those moments allow you to tap into that feeling of like letting everything else fall away because when you're in those moments you're not worried about when your next paycheck's coming you're not worried about the argument you had with your mate the other day you're not worried about that weird text you just got from your your misses, you know what I mean? You're just, you're in that zone and that's when we're fully present and that's when we're really experiencing life at the fullest. So it's about recognising those moments throughout your day really and that's when you kind of get into that zone. Last couple of questions. Um, what are your three top values that you bring to your business or your workplace? Uh, always look at the for the positive in any given situation no matter what I think that's super important because it's so easy to find the negatives it's so easy to point out the bad stuff like it's actually hard work trying to figure out the positives and I had to do that in my own life to the point where people now look at me and they're like oh but you're like the positive guy whenever I'm like not being positive um, which is I see as a good thing so yeah always, always look for the positives in any given situation Everything can be achieved 1% at a time. Like if you want to put time, effort, money, whatever into anything, mm. like 1% at a time will never go, like will never treat you bad. The 1% will change my life. That's how, that's how I got myself into a position of like developing myself and like going on my own personal journey. It was like, I want to just better myself each day 1%. If I can do that every day, by the end of the year, I'm going to be so much better than where I started the year. Mm. So that's that's a massive one. And then the other one, man, is just being more present in everything you do. Like we get so caught up in the shit. We get so caught up in the shit. And it's like the best times I have is where I'm just in the moment. In like the just moment. like since we've been here, I haven't really thought about anything other than the conversation we're having. And that's that's being ultimately present. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, it's like yeah. when we're not in those moments, we're like, oh damn, like I need to like, what's my dinner gonna be tonight? What's my Oh, I gotta pay the tax on that thing, or like, oh, the shower door, my shower's falling. I need to get repaired. Like, just be in the moment. Yeah, just do what you're doing at that moment, man. Do you know when that really, really hit me? There was a time me and Pox were in Barcelona quite several years ago. I know you talking about. We had a wrap, um, so we went there for a Barcelona match. Exactly we went there yeah. for that was our main purpose. Uh, we booked the trip around <laughs> the Barcelona, Barcelona playing Espanol or someone. Espanol. Yeah, we booked the trip around that. We said let's let's go out for a couple of drinks somewhere on the the evening before. And we ended up bumping into like um, this girl and her pal. Ended up going out to a club. It was pretty sick in a the club. Then afterwards, she said, "Come back to our house party." And we're having a good night. And we was like, "No, we need an early like we said, like we said something. We need an early night. We're, we're on holiday. We need an early night." We didn't go. And next to us, thinking, "Why didn't we go?" Like it's made me think. You don't know what could have led to because yeah. they were on. They, it looked like it was gonna be fun going back to that party. And it was only a small thing, but that flipped in my head like. Whenever you're have, if you say that like I plan to go out on a Saturday evening and I'm having a fantastic time, go with the flow. Like, yeah. don't just say, "Well, I've 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 prepared myself to be on by nine Or do you know what I mean? Yeah, go but with the flow, that, man. That's one of the things I've got being in Japan is like we had a plan in terms of like the route that we wanted to take through Japan. Right. Okay. But it's like day to day, we we vibed, man. Yeah, oh, that's not gonna happen when you go to South America. You can have a plan. It would be sketch. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. We were just like going with the flow. We were like, see what happens. We chat to people in the morning, see what they were up to. 
like there was so much stuff that we thought we were going to do but then when we got there we ended up doing other stuff overwhelmed and it was like sick I was just like I love that I love that sense of like freedom and just like going with whatever's in front of you at that given moment so yeah man they're my free okay is that it? no there's not (laughs) (laughs) Um, if you had three realistic wishes what would they be? realistic wishes? um Oh damn, that's a good question. Um, three realistic wishes. Uh, Fully booked next guests on Dreams Disease. <laughs> <laughs> We'd have a sick conversation. Um, how realistic are we talking? Um, on a scale of one to ten, say seven. Seven. What if you couldn't say seven? <laughs> say ten then, God. Feel um, unrealistic if you need me. No, I'm not thinking unrealistic. I'm just thinking like what? So I think one of them would be a selfish one, mm. which would just be to live my life like fully free, being able to do what I want to do when I want to do it and having freedom mm. to do that time-wise and financially. And that, I'm not saying I like, need to be super rich. Like, I don't just like financially be able to just move and travel and do what I want to do while I'm traveling. Definitely. Uh, mentally as well. Mentally free. Yeah, mentally. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's all all encompassing. Two, um, Arsenal to win the Champions League. (laughs) 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 No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, Two would be, um, I'm trying to think like something, I don't know, man. Like I just think, you can have the Arsenal one if you want. No, nah, no, nah, that, that's gonna come, man. That's 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 not a wish. Um, mm. That I think, like for me, I'm just trying to think of like something quite human, like for like humans, just like everyone to just be like, just to forget the shit basically, and just be more present with the way they live their life, and just like everyone to just connect to the values of what living is, and that's experiencing any given moment at any given time. And I think like again, we forget that because we get caught up in so much shit and that's what's great about traveling is you go to these different countries where they have a lot less than us mm-hmm. and the kids and the people are as equally as happy as some of the people that you yeah, see who yeah, have yeah. you know do you know what I mean it's just yeah. opens your eyes up to yeah, like all yeah, this definitely. bullshit like cars and houses and yeah. jobs it's just bullshit it's like bullshit. we don't need that and I just wish that we could live in a world where everyone could recognise that and all of that stuff didn't matter and we kind of all just lived on like an even platform yeah, of yeah. just like of life man like yeah. obviously there's going to be elements that aren't always balanced but mm-hmm. that is life as well um so that'd be one and then the third one would be um and then i've got a question for you guys after actually i just thought of it based on my answer to have one extra hour a day every day cool to meditate just and literally just have that hour to meditate okay i like that one one more question before yeah. you can answer yours what three books could you not live without <sighs> Uh, I think definitely one of the Krishnamurti books I mentioned earlier Awakening of Intelligence or f- pro- I'll probably say that one actually because that one's just deep mm-hmm. um, another book I can <laughs> this is probably a bit of a cheat um, but I haven't done it in a while so now it's probably is definitely cheating I was going to say my gratitude journal because that's technically a book yeah, I'm yeah. writing it <laughs> um, that's just sick and then the third one would be uh, 
Rah, I can't actually think. Um, probably say Celestine Prophecy. That was a, that book opened my eyes to a lot of things, yeah, and I've said the same books over again. But it's just they are the books that I resonate with. Next up, we sat with we sat down and spoke with Chris Moak. He was a, a young footballer who was on the books of Fulham and then Arsenal. And then something happened in his career where he ended up moving abroad to America. And now his kind of mindset's completely different. Really interested to speak to Chris. He's kind of, what he's working on now is how music can help with kind of mental health. But in between are so many interesting facts. So here's, here's the best of, but please do go back and listen to the full interview. Chris, tell me a bit about your history, man. Like, I've, I've heard an accent straight yeah, away. Yeah, so yeah. tell me, just tell me a bit about like where you're from, where you grew up, mm-hmm. where the accent comes from. Um, and so then we'll get into it. pretty much, like, I was born and raised in Northwest London. Like, my parents are from Congo, both of them, and then me and my siblings were all born in London. Yeah. Um, like Andrew said, I, uh, I got scouted. I think football has been like a huge part of my life the entire time. Yeah. I got scouted when I was about nine or ten in school. Joined IFA where. Andrew came to coach and mm-hmm. I was probably there maybe just under a year before I got signed for Fulham. Okay. Spent about two seasons at Fulham, mm. then moved to Arsenal after that. And then after Arsenal, after about six months after I left Arsenal. How long was you at Arsenal for? So I was at Arsenal for about three years. Okay. Until I was 16. And then 16, after leaving Arsenal, I moved to America. So I've been living in America pretty much for the last like seven years. It doesn't seem like, it doesn't feel like it, but it's that, yeah. I was like counting it the other day. It's been like seven years just been in America, living out there. So what was you doing out in America? So I went to school out in America. I went to uni mm-hmm. out in America. And then when I graduated, I pretty much just stayed behind, started working and just, yeah, kind of finding my way. It was a, a lot. There's kind of a lot that happened in that process but yeah we're gonna get on to that yeah um so tell me just so i can i can get the transition clear in my head mm-hmm. 16 you leave arsenal was the reason you left arsenal to move to america or was it just nah. didn't work out or um so it got to 16 and like the scholarship process and everything was happening and then um didn't get a scholarship yeah was kind of trying to kind of figure it out at 16 that was kind of a crazy time in my yeah. life yeah because like um like Andrew's known my father as well. Like as long as we've been, he wasn't really there. It was kind of me kind of figuring it out on my own. I'd lost my cousin. He had got killed and another close friend had also died. So during that period of leaving Arsenal, the phone's ringing, all these teams are calling, like we want you yeah, to come yeah, and yeah, kind yeah. of do that kind of process. And it was kind of like, all right, I need to kind of take a step back. Cause at that age at 16, I'd also realized like a few other things just about myself as a person that kind of influenced my decision to go to America. So like going to America wasn't the first option. It was almost like the last resort, but it was the resort that I needed because the offer had been on the table for about like a year prior. So it actually connects to who I was playing with and who was around me at the time, the reason why I ended up going to America. And like a lot of people don't actually know like that part of the story. Where does this stem from? Tell me about your, your love of books. Uh-huh. Tell me about books you've read. Um, So reading books, I say it was like a two kind of part, like push. And it was it was basically two teachers that I had. So what, um, primary school here? One's primary school, one's secondary school. So my first teacher in primary school, this is probably like year four, year five, 
You know, like in primary school, they give you those tasks, like you got to read a book a week and then you got to write like a... In our school, it was you either had to rewrite the ending, you had to write a summary and then maybe an illustration. So we'd get that every week and I wasn't really doing it. I was half like, I was half arsing it, but they'd ask me to read in class and they could tell like he's reading way above like his age. So it was level one to five and like year four, year five, the average is like level three or four. Mm. You got maybe four or five kids on f- level five and not till like year five, you might have one kid on level six. So I was probably on like level five in year four, which was still ahead. And they were like, he's not really engaging here. So we're going to try push him up to six. But when they pushed me up to six, the same thing was happening. So I remember they put me in a room kind of similar to this. That was like in between classrooms and asked me to read like a level six book and then like tell them what's happening. Mm-hmm. And they're like, he gets this too. So like, where's the disconnect? So after like a little while, my teacher at the time calls my mom in and kind of says, look, we know he can read. We know his comprehension level is good. We just think probably the books aren't engaging him. Take him to the library, let him find something that might grab him. And I remember it like it was yesterday. Like my mom got me a library card, Oakington Manor Library. It's not there no more. It was in Wembley. Mm. And she take me to the library, but it still hadn't clicked. I would pull books out of the library, leave them in my room. When it's time to return them, return them. <laughs> but maybe the third or fourth time, she's got the late charge from the library yeah. <laughs> so she's come in the room like mad like where's the book and she's seen it on the shelf but it's been there so long it's got dust on it yeah. so she's like i know you haven't read this one and i put my money on it you haven't read any of the other ones that you took out so she said we're going to the library and we're not leaving until you find something you're going to read mm-hmm. and you know like when you're a kid because you haven't lived as long time feels like much longer so we could have been there in there two hours but it felt like six mm. and i would, i was trying to run game on it. i was like yo I'm gonna walk away, come back in 10 minutes, be like, I can't find nothing. Mm. And every time I came back, she wasn't having it to the point where it got to one point where she wouldn't even look at me. I just come back, I was crying, all of that. Like, mom, let's go, let's go. She's like, uh-uh, go. So eventually I gave in, I caved in and I just like remember going to find one book and it was like the side of it was orange and it had bang on it. i never forget, it was a book by Sharon G. Flake called Bang. It was orange, pull it out. The front cover had a black kid that looked like me. And um, I remember specifically because like I've always like one of the things that people used to like grill me about was my ears. My ears always stuck out. So they used to call me Dumbo and stuff like that. Is that how you're going your dreads? No, nah, not them. really. Like, that was kind of like a whole other thing that happened. But I never and I never really took it personally because like even like when I was like younger, girls always loved my ears. So I was like, if the man them are dissing me for my ears, but the girls love me, what do I care? <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Who am That's I trying to impress it? <laughs> Who am I really trying to impress it? Do you know what I'm saying? So I didn't really mind it, to be honest. So then bang, read that, I breezed through that book. Like probably in less than a week, I know I finished that book because like I couldn't put it down. And it was a story about a black kid, similar to like most black kids who grew up in impoverished neighborhoods, trying to navigate that. And his dad being not, his dad lived like around the corner from him, but he was never around. And he Mm. used to just try to tackle that with his friends. As they got older, they start seeing stuff. They're walking by like crack houses, et cetera till his dad comes back in his life and says, look, but he's unapologetic. He's kind of just like, yo, like, what do I have to be sorry for? So he takes him and his best friend on a camping trip and he leaves them at the campsite far out and says, your mission is to find your way back home. Mm. And that's basically the premise of like the book. Mm. And that was the first book I read from back to front. And like, that was the first one. But the problem with after that was, every book I was looking for was a replication of that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I fell back into the same cycle 
of not reading anything because it was like, if it's not like this, I don't mm. care. But then I got to secondary school and this was like the one that kind of set over the top. My French teacher, Miss Kelly, like she was a, she kind of let me be the class count for like a year from year seven to year eight. And as she got to know me, I, I didn't realize until after like, she was just studying me. Like, why is this guy a clown? But I grew up speaking French at yeah, home. Congolese, yeah. So I could skate through the class yeah, without yeah, doing much. Yeah. Until one day she stuck it on me, held me off to school and it's kind of like, and I went to an all boys school. So for like a, now I can see like for a woman to be a teacher in an all boys school, you have to be great. Otherwise they're going to roll on you. Mm. So she was just like a no nonsense. She's just sat me down and was like, listen, you're an idiot. And she was just kind of like, you got potential inside you that I can see that you probably can't even see right now. And if you don't get it together, you're going to waste it. You need to find new friends and you need to get your ish together. And I remember like it was yesterday, she took, she uh, took a book after she explained to me like what her plan was, what her goal was, where she was going, how she wasn't going to be teaching for long. And she said, this is temporary. She took a book, shoved it in my chest and was like, read it. I'm giving this to you. But she was like, I'm not giving it to you to keep. I'm giving it to you to read and give back to me, which means you've got a couple of days to get through this. Mm. And the first book she gave me was Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. <laughs> Lord, ah, I'm 12. Got, this is yours. I'm at 12. <laughs> no, I just got shivers. Like, I'm 12. <laughs> no, I just got shivers. Like, it was, it was crazy. Hold, but, hold, hold. And then she, she gave me like two or three books. So she gave me that book. She gave me another Napoleon Hill book that was like more of a formula book. Yeah. And then I think the last book she gave me was Think and Grow Rich. No, it was um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, we used to talk about that. Bit, yeah, so yeah. those were the three books she gave me before she ended up leaving. And like, she was the real deal because a year later, she would still call and ask about me. Really? And we'd talk about books and everything she said that she was going to do, she mm. did. She did. Mm. So at that point, when she gave me those books and I was reading through those, at first, I don't even like, Think and Grow Rich, like for a 12-year-old, that's mm. a heavy book. Right, about to... So at the start, I don't think I really liked it. It was more of a test. Like you gave me a test, I'm not losing. Mm. Like I have to, and then eventually it's like, okay, I'm starting to pick up what this is about. And once that happened, it was out of here. Like, that's, yeah, nonstop. That's dope. Yeah. And that's pretty much how like I got into books. And then at first, I was really only reading like, self-help books and books yeah. about business and all those yeah, kind of yeah, things yeah. it wasn't until i got a little bit older i started reading other things as well and started incorporating like a more holistic like reading approach mm -hmm. yeah tell me where to go tell me where to go so when you read do you take notes and that especially do you know what let's just kind of jump stay with thinking grow rich mm -hmm. mm. when you first initially read that book yeah how, how did you take it in I had to take notes because some of it was so big. If I didn't write it down and come back to it, I wouldn't, it would just skip me. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it was reading things over and over again, taking notes, highlighting. And that's kind of how I read now. It's like taking notes, highlighting everything that I need to come back to. I usually have like post-it notes. I leave, slap them in a book, dissect it. And now I'm, I'm really big on reading books over again. Mm -hmm. Before I'd read it once and be done with it. But I started to realize, like, when you're reading books, you're really reading yourself. Bloody Do you know what I'm saying? So, I told you about this. Some more shivers. Yeah, and it, it took me a little while to get there, but, like, it's like you read something once, you put it down, you go out, you experience life, you come back, you read it again. Mm. It's a completely different mm -hmm. book. Yeah. But the words haven't changed. The only thing that's changed is you. Mm -hmm. So you difference. start to understand that it's you that's, that you're reading. You're projecting yourself onto that book and mm. taking it back. 
So that kind of information, and when I started understanding that, it was like, all right, pick things up a second time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you might have to pick it up a third time. And there's some yeah. books that I've encountered now where it literally says you got to read this a hundred times. Think and Grow Rich is yeah. one of those books. Exactly. Yeah. So, and but I've always had a great memory, so it's never like I pick it up because I've forgotten what I've read. Mm. It's like there's certain things like in the rule book that she gave me, the first one that she gave me. It it had it had like a quote in it that I've never forgotten to this day, and I may have even told you it before. It was like through the operation that water seeks its level and everything in the universe alike nature seeks its kind. I read that when I was 12 and I've never forgotten it to this day. Mm -hmm. It had a formula in it, like a R2A2 formula that was like recognize, relate, assimilate and apply whatever type of information or whatever you're coming across. So things like that, like always stuck with me. No, I love that. I love that. So going on from Think and Grow Rich, what other books would you say that uh, has left a... I a guess, big mark? Yeah, impactful. Um, when I was at Arsenal, my brother gave me... The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho. Yeah. And I read that, I was about 13, 14. I used to read that on the way to training and on the way back. Sick. That was another one that like set off a spark. And then from there, it just, it goes on. Like I read like The Art of Happiness by the Dalai Lama. Mm -hmm. I read books about like health. So I read like African Holistic Health by Dr. Layla. You used to talk to me about, what's his face? Sorry, apologies. Um... So I'm going to say Nipsey Hussle, Nipsey Hussle yeah. and um, Dr. Sebi. Thank you. And Dr. So, yeah, Sebi. we used to have big, yeah. big conversations about that. Like, I was on that early. I started listening to Nipsey when I was in year seven. So like everything he used to yeah. say, big conversation I, used to, with Dr. Sebi used to I used to pick up on it. Like Dr. Sebi. Water. That's the water. one. That's where I changed I my water thing. So from going, because you used to tell me about spring water and tell yeah, me the difference between spring water and yeah. mineral water and that type of stuff. And I was a big fan of like Dick Gregory when I that's was like Dick 12. That's the one. And he put me onto like a lot of stuff as well. And I just started reading that. I was reading... Because I went to school for psychology, so I read like a lot of psychology, yeah, like yeah. psychology books as well. So stuff like the ISIS papers by Dr. Francis Cress Wilson, um, Wilson, sorry, all different types of stuff, man. Like Jane Elliott, um, a lot of research, like uh, Don Elegan, who wrote a book called like Rap Therapy, which is where a lot of my research was based as well. So it was just reading uh, whatever I could get my hands on really at that point. And... Um, yeah, I'd be here for days, like the four agreements, the I fifth agreements, that, yeah. like... Do you know them? No, I've never heard of them. So, yeah, so it's basically like, it's another kind of like rule book that's based on like ancient Toltec principles of how they live their lives and like four principles that they hold key to their kind of like culture and stuff. Mm. And it kind of goes through each principle and breaks it down and kind of tells you how to apply it. So like the four principles is like, I'm off the top of my head, I'm gonna see if I can remember. Um, be impeccable with your word. Um, don't take things personally. Don't mm -hmm. make assumptions. And the fourth one, I think, is... Um, the fifth one, I know, is be skeptical. But it, in the sense, like, always question the source and stuff like that. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, I would, those principles changed a lot for me as well. Like, even things like don't take things personal... And being impeccable with your word, like understanding that it's not necessary. Like being impeccable with your word, it's kind of like word is bond, but it's also understanding like, are you accurately conveying the message that you're trying to deliver? Wow. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's so easy for things to get lost in translation. So how good are you with the word that you're actually like using as well as obviously not using words to hurt yourself versus stuff like that. So the... I mean, this uh, off topic. This like, where does someone at that age almost find time to read? Because 
everywhere, man. When you're a kid, all you have is time. I know, the truth be told, like, that is fact. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're playing, those hours you're playing PlayStation, <laughs> those hours you're on the bus, those hours you're on the train, like, all of that Not stuff. Not everyone at that age is, is yeah. thinking. And thinking. Like, no, it's true. How often do you read now? Now, I, I read every day. It's part of, like, my routine at this point. Mm-hmm. But um, one thing I try to do as well is, like, I stay away from, eat, like, online books and stuff like that. I only, I try to only read, like, hard copies. Paperback or whatever. Yeah, because it's just, like, it's at the point now where there's so much social media that reading is almost an escape. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And it's, like, if I pick up my laptop to read, it feels like I'm just falling back into that. Mm-hmm. So I kind of use it to get away from that and kind of seclude myself from that. And then... Also, just like the nature of like understanding psychology, like the way your brain works and how it's it's so much better for your brain to literally read paperback books than it is to look on a screen. It's kind of like the lesser of two evils because you're getting the radiation from the screen versus when you're just, it's so good for your brain. Like reading delays the onset of like um, dementia yeah, yeah. and yeah. stuff like yeah. that. So just like knowing that it's like exercising. Yeah, I definitely find reading the actual book is more beneficial than yeah. actually reading it from my iPad. Yeah. I mean, I do book both when I need to, but more often than not, I'll have a yeah. stack of books to read. Mm-hmm. Just turning the papers, holding that dual book and yeah. getting that feel is, yeah. is esoteric. It's, mm-hmm. yeah. it's a great feeling, yeah. And I want to not even fast forwarding because I think you, you can take us to a whole other level in terms of reading and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure reading has taken you it's taking you places where well, you can't really imagine really in mm-hmm. terms of your mind. Where are you now, whether it's with reading or with what you're doing in life? Because um, I didn't even know you finished uni. So my yeah. question to you the other day was like, what are you doing now? And yeah. you're telling me you're here, you're there, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. So what is it you're doing now? Um, so currently, re- like research, I make music at this point and just, yeah, really just working in... The f- so the whole point the whole reason I went to like the sports company to try and marry like psychology and sports was kind of like America's a little bit behind in terms of like football and so it was kind of trying to implement the psychology of it into the sports of it and the reason I do research and I make music is because my research was in music therapy so my whole thing was I've always wanted to marry the two and kind of put them together and just understanding that like what's another way that we can reach kids and reach black kids specifically? Because throughout all my research and everything, there were so many gaps in the research in terms of like black people going to therapy and just spaces for black men to even go and speak to someone Mm. and where the disconnect was and like, why can't people engage them? And I've always been a music lover. So it was like, it was like a no brainer. It's like, yo, like, and I think I may even have spoke to you years ago about it when I first got into it. And it was just like, yo, like more times than not, one of the things I realized is I probably don't even have to ask someone what they're going through. I could just ask them what they're listening to. Mm-hmm. And when I ask them what they're listening to more times than not, that's the gateway for me to know exactly what's going on in your life at that moment. And it holds true for most of my friends and most of the people that I've been around. So it was like, how do we connect it? And then I got into research in DC. So like one of the reasons I left Virginia was because Virginia was a bubble. It was the kind of bubble that a kid like me coming from where I came from needed. But after a year, it wears off and you start to realize, okay, I've gone to both extremes. I need to come back and find a balance now. So I was looking for certain mentorship in Virginia that I couldn't find. Like Virginia was a crazy experience. Like I tell people I could write a book on it alone, like just Virginia. 
And it was the first time I'd been around people that were that affluent, people who came from generational wealth mm. and just seeing the way they behaved and their patterns of behavior versus mine. And you don't realize like how materialistic London is until you leave. Mm-hmm. You don't realize how fast you're forced to grow up here till you leave. Wow. And when I got to Virginia and people are asking me like, yeah, so like, where are you coming from? What you been up to? Like, and I'm telling them everything I'm done. They're looking at me like I'm crazy. Like you, and I speak to my friends about this all the time. Like you grow up in London, by the time you're 12, 13, you have to know how to navigate the city. Mm. You have to know how to get to and from school. You got to know where you can and you can't go, mm-hmm. where you're going to get into trouble. Mm. And if you don't know these things by year seven, year eight, you're going to find out real quick. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, it's the kids that weren't street smart that got in the most trouble like after school because they didn't know where they could go. So if you don't know these things, there's going to be a lesson waiting for you at some point after school. And then you learn. Kids in America that I went to school with at 13 are still getting bused to school on a yellow bus. They don't even know how to move in their own towns and cities. So mm. they grow up like a lot slower. Mm. So you realize that like on one hand, you become a lot more street smart and mature, but you get robbed of a certain innocence that you could yeah. have a lot longer that gives you a bit more time to like grow up. So being around that kind of money as well. And I remember one time, I remember it happened a couple of times, but there was two times. By the time I left London, I had like thrown most of my clothes away. Like, we used to get like money, especially like, you know, for travel and stuff like that. But you didn't really need money for travel. So you kind of looked at it like you was getting paid as a young like kid playing football. At that time, you got nothing to spend money on other than shoes, clothes and all this kind of stuff. So you kind of get trapped in that. And by the time I'd left to move to America, I was kind of over it. I was yeah, like, this yeah. is dumb. Mm. You know, it was almost like using those those materials to overcompensate for what you was lacking inside yeah, kind of yeah. thing. Oh. And it's like, it's cool when you're a grown man and you know who you are, but as a kid, when you're that young, you got some things to figure out before you you can kind of subscribe to that. So I remember two instances when I first moved out to America, before I moved in with the host family, I was staying at the Marriott Hotel. They put me in the Marriott Hotel. And I remember coming downstairs one day for breakfast and there was a guy sitting maybe like over there, like maybe where the camera is. And he had on a black scarf, but it had like a white tag. So the contrast kept catching my eye. Yeah. And when I looked at it, it had Gucci on the white tag, but I was confused. I'm coming from a place where the only Gucci I recognize has green and red stripes yeah. on it. Mm. And if it doesn't have that, I don't know what it is. Mm. So I'm thinking to myself, he's definitely got money because I started Googling it and looking at it. And you realize that all these designer brands create two lines at least. Mm. There's one for the people we want you to feel like you got something, but you don't. Mm. And we got one for the people that really got something that don't care and don't need you to know that they're, mm-hmm. in, they, they're in it. And so when that happened, I was like, all right, cool. Then the second time, one of my closest friends in my first year uni, generational wealth, family came from, from, from money, right? I, I'm not even gonna say like how they made it, but it was like, it was to do with um, tech, but early tech in terms of like phone wires and telephone wires and like, so she had bread, but it took me forever to even know she really had money like that. Like she would shop at the thrift store. She'd have one pair of shoes and like, and I'm thinking, why is my suitcase got stuff worth more than yours and you really have it and I don't? Like, what is, this doesn't make any sense. And it was a constant, like everyone I met that came from it. And then it's like, you get to the holidays. It's like the the winter break. And then they got like the spring breaks and everyone's going to the to the beach house in Miami or the, the penthouse in upstate New York. And you're thinking, bro, I don't even have money to get back to London. Where am I going? And that was like kind of what kind of like popped the bubble a little bit. Cause it was like that year in Virginia was really the first time I was able to kind of 
let my guard down and have fun mm. without having to look over my shoulder and worry mm. about what's coming or having to. So it was like a necessary thing. But then it's like you snap out the bubble. Life over there hasn't stopped. You kind of tell yourself like, oh, things aren't happening, but you catch up with what's going on back home. And it's like, all right, cool. This isn't a luxury I can afford right now. This might be the next generation or the generation after. But for me, we still got work to do. We can't be this. So then that's when I was like, all right, let's go to DC. And that was where I found the mentorship and the kind of guidance that I needed. Started doing research with, um, in a research lab that's actually like taking off as well. So my mentor, Dr. Fia Embili Shaka, she started a research lab called Psychotherapy. So it was using hair as an entry point into mental health services. And when you start to look at the research in hair and everything, it's like your stress and all your trauma shows in your hair because your hair is literally an extension of your nervous system. So if you're stressed out, if you're angry, if you're depressed, it's going to show in your hair, mm. literally. And when you think about like black people and their history with hair and you start to look at what hair is meant to black people, like it's deep. You know what I'm saying? Like you had slaves who were using their hair as maps to get away from plantations. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the history heavy. of hair is heavy. And then you got to think about like the social aspect of hair in terms of like what certain black people have to do to even be able to go to work with mm. their hair. Mm -hmm. The straightening, the heat, the perming, all this stuff that fits into a Eurocentric standard mm -hmm. of beauty that's not ours and how that affects people psychologically. Mm. So it was like, learning all of this and realizing like, yo, like even like my mom and stuff, I had to come back with this information and be like, yo, you can't use this shampoo. You can't use this. Like this stuff is like purposely made to damage your type of texture. Mm -hmm. And if you don't understand the texture of your hair, you're already killing the root. This is the, 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 the one of the most important parts of your body. Your brain is not that far under the top of your head. <laughs> so imagine you putting chemicals in that and, and it's going straight to your brain. Do you know what I'm saying? And it, it was a lot. It was a lot for me to process. And we've like, sorry, you, with the information that you actually, you have and you've told us, what mm -hmm. are you actually trying to do at this moment in time? Right, because I want to mm -hmm. read that book. I'm yeah. not going to lie, you, you said I could write, I, I want to read yeah. that book. Um, so one of the things when I first, so the way I guess like scientific writing works after you've done like all the, the research and you've done the experiments and stuff, you submit it to journals. So I, over the last like four or five years, I've been working on manuscripts to go to scientific journals, but I also want to write like my own books that speak on my experiences. But then there's also music. Cause the one thing I realized as well is like in academic spaces, we don't have that much representation the higher you go up. And my thing is they're always looking at where's your credibility. It, the equivalent of it would be like, in order to go into a lot of scientific spaces, if you was a musician, you'd either have to have be Grammy nominated or you would have to have a Grammy for them to even respect you. In academic writing, it's the same. If you're not a published writer, you really hold no weight out mm -hmm. here. So that was the reason I wanted to get research published. Because my thing is, I, f I feel like I need to be able to walk into any door and be able to tell you what I know and you have to respect it. Mm -hmm. So when I was going to these conferences and these places and I'm going to these Ivy League schools and they got four or five degrees, mm -hmm. I'm still walking in there the same way I walked on that field the first time. It's like, you don't know what I know. What I know you can't pay for. There's no degree that can teach you how to connect to my people. Do you know what I'm saying? So it was always like, all right, if I got this, I got that. And 
I have the music and the goal is to create these programs where we can use music and have music therapy. I have everything to make me credible that I don't need to rely on anyone else or feel like I'm walking into a room where I'm not prepared or I don't have the know-how to kind of navigate. So it was just about making sure I had all the bases covered. And it was also, it, to an extent, I enjoy it. So it was, it made it easier to kind of do all of that. So long-term, it would be to kind of create these programs and start to do music therapy and stuff like that, as well as just making music because it's a form of expression. Like music at this point for me, like it doesn't matter whether we sell, sell a million or we never ever sell anything. It's a form of expression. Like everybody needs an outlet. Do you know what I'm saying? If you put something into a, a into, I don't know, a vending machine, something comes out. If you punch something into a computer, something comes out. There's always an input and an output. But for most people, all they do is input information and stuff and there's no output. You're literally like, it's like a brain fart or creating mental constipation. So if give you an example of that. So a lot of people put information into a computer and they don't get And they don't get anything out. For instance, like going through whatever you're going through, you might be stressed because of your bills, your work, whatever, everything that you take in and there's no outlet. There's so many people that bottle up their emotions and don't talk about it. Like they just don't have anyone to talk to or whatever the case may be. And if you don't let it out, you're going to get constipated. It's like taking a dump. If you put food inside you and you don't let it out, you're going to be constipated and you're going to get sick. Most people, if you look it up, even psychologically, they tell you that people get sick by holding on to information and like holding on to things and not letting it out. That's like one of the quickest ways to get to shut your body down and get sick is by constipating yourself by just holding it in. So it's like, how do we create an outlet? And when people think about like why music's so important. So I read a lot of books on like music and why music is as big as it is and why it controls the whole world pretty much. It's because when you break it down to a science, like music is frequency and it's waves. That's all this planet is pretty much made of is waves and frequencies, everything. Mm-hmm. A conversation is waves and frequencies. So every single person that you meet is literally a walking instrument. You have a heartbeat, you have like a pulse, which is like a drum kick. You speak in iambic pentameter, which is rhythm and rhyme. You're literally a walking instrument. And if you send waves at an instrument, that instrument is either going to go up in frequency, down in frequency, but it's going to have some type of reaction. So it's literally like, music's like one of the most natural things like in life. So it was just more so about finding an outlet. Like how can we, how can we pretty much let whatever's coming in out? And so that's where like the music came into it. And I've always, I've always been, I've always been writing, even when I was playing football, I really didn't tell many people, but I always wrote whether it was poetry or whether it was whatever. So my thing is just like, we need more outlets for people. What book would you say you've read which has had the most impact or influence on your life so far? <sighs> That's a tough one. Um, I'd say... The Alchemist is one of them, for sure, just because of where I was at the time. And I was starting to like explore like spirituality a lot more. So it was like a gateway. Um, another book that I really loved or had a big impact. Hmm. I would say 
a rose from the concrete by Tupac Shakur was something that something that had a big impact on me as well because I've always been like a huge hip hop head. So reading like that was cool. Um, I was going to say it's covering French's three questions. Oh, sorry. Uh, there's just so many, man. And each book's different. Like each book is so different. Like I've I've read so many. Like I read the uh, the all by I've I've read quite a few all biographies as well. Like I I recently finished the all biography of Che Guevara. That was okay. a really I've good one. I've not that, read it yet. Yeah, that's a really good one. Um, Asada Shakur, who was like a Black Panther, that was a good one. I read the autobiography of Malcolm X. That was a really big one as well. Mm-hmm. That had like a big impact on me. Um, and then everything in between, like there's so much. Like uh, on the other end of it, like books like The Celestine Prophecy. <laughs> I read that. That was like a, a really good read. That had an impact on me. There's so many, man. So many books. Like, I don't know if I can narrow it down mm-hmm, to just mm-hmm. like just one. one yeah. Like, um, yeah. Before we go, I mean, I normally ask three questions, but I'll ask mm-hmm. the last two. What are the three top values that you bring to your business, or in what what you do on a day to day basis? What I do on a day to day basis, the values that I bring. Um, I definitely say like I'm a trailblazer for one. Like I really jump out the window with a lot of things and kind of set the tone, especially like I think my the team that I have and everyone will kind of say the same thing. He's kind of like the trailblazer. Two, just like that first for information as well and just like going out there and really finding what it is that I'm looking for at the current time, whether it's how to do something or how to do something else. And um, the third thing I'd say... Balance in everything Like balance is big for me And that's probably the thing I try to exercise the most in my life Is balance You know like I understand how important routine is Mm -hmm. But I also understand that routine can also be a prison So understanding the balance between having a routine And also being free To kind of manoeuvre and leave space For anything that life might give you back Mm -hmm. Um, If I could replace any of them I think I'd actually replace one Because I think one of the things that I've learned about myself, like the, the my best quality is probably my emotional intelligence. That's one thing that I've realized I have a, a very good grasp on that's helped me navigate throughout the world. And like for anyone who's like thinking like, what's it, emotional intelligence? It's not just necessarily understanding your feelings, but it's understanding how your feelings affect you, how they affect others around you and how other people's feelings affect you and how it also affects like the energy in a room. Like, I think I'm really good at like reading energy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much helped me navigate my whole life. Cool. Um, and what free, if you had free realistic wishes, what would they be? Free realistic wishes from like what I'd want from life or something? Yeah. That's a good question. Cause I was recently having that conversation with someone and I realized that I don't, I really, if, if I had to force wishes out, because the one thing I've realized is that I don't really want anything from life anymore. Mm-hmm. I used to live life thinking that I wanted all these things and stuff, but I to th- this period of my life is the first time I could say where I do not need anything from life. There's nothing life can give me that's going to make me happier, worse or whatever. Like I am full. I'm con- like content, happy within myself. So anything that I desire at this point is for everyone else around me. Mm-hmm. Like if my mom was good and my mom like didn't have bills to pay and stuff like that and all my friends were good, Bro, I wouldn't need anything. With the clothes that's on my back and everything that I've got, like, I am so good. Mm-hmm. Like, 
everything is for everyone else at this point. So it would just, my one wish would be to make sure everyone else around me was good and the other two you could give to whoever. Like, I don't need them, I don't need them man. No, we just signed out on that. Number two for everyone else. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm nicking the other one. <laughs> everything is for you everyone else. Yeah, man, I really don't need it, Number two. Yeah, no, that's dope, that's dope. Yeah, really great interview with Chris. Next up on the um, best of is Daniel Bailey. Wow. So Daniel is someone who I know very well from growing up and I'm really proud of the way that this guy's um, grown and developed into the person he is today. Now we're um, working in theatre production. He now kind of screenwrites. He, um, he writes plays. He also directs. And he's just a really, really good person who's trying to see the best for best for himself, best for his future, but also to try and make that experience. He's trying to bring back or trying to make make it so that theatre is one of the places that's on your list when you think of cinema, movie in, theatre springs to mind in each and every household or each and every person. So enjoy. So Daniel, one of the reasons that like I, I kind of harassed the boys to have you down is because I know <laughs> you're doing a lot of, you're making a lot of noise in kind of the theatre production world. So I want to go over kind of your history, how you got into it and stuff like that. But if you just give us a quick introduction to what you do right now, what your kind of day consists of and what you're kind of, you're aiming to do at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I'm a theatre director by trade, um, also a dramaturg, which is a German word, which basically means someone who looks at scripts, edits them, and then kind of gives that feedback. And my day-to-day is different every single day. Literally, I've been in Birmingham today, back to London. I'm at the Bush Theatre tomorrow. I'm at the Hampstead Theatre the day after. So my days change day-to-day. But I direct plays mainly. Um, I do a lot of talent spotting and a lot of talent development. So uh, encouraging people to become writers, directors, theatre makers, you name it. Anything that kind of pushes people into the theatre world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm there. The plug. Excellent, yeah. And what, I mean, we kind of grew up in similar backgrounds. So what kind of pushed you down that route? I mean, I only started getting into the theatre myself in my 20s, if I'm honest. And it was just like, I think it, it probably coincided with the kind of people who maybe I was working alongside who grew up slightly different to me. And it, op- it really opened up my mind and my eyes to like a different type of cinematic experience, if that makes sense. Yeah. So for you to be in this realm, working in this realm, what drove you down that way? I mean, is it were you were you an actor when you were younger, drama school, anything like that? Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a kind of like an urban myth that black people don't go to theatre, mm. and um, as much as some of it is partly true, the thing is we are I, I guess we are theatre. We we perform every day, so in every part of our lives we perform. I think we are the biggest and the baddest performers, mm. you, you know, in music, in sports, entertainment, anything you think about what we do, you are in public face and we are performing mm-hmm. and um i th- i think uh we, we you know, in this country we believe it to just be a kind of white middle class thing mm-hmm. and um really there was i had a couple of teachers i went brentside and um i had a couple of teachers who saw that i was an entertainer and that you know i'd be the joker of the room and it kind of pushed me into to more performance style and giving me something to kind of channel that thing that that that, that extra bit of um i guess excitement or whatever they, they pushed me into that kind of realm of performance so I performed quite a bit but I didn't really understand that um, you know young people could be directors 
But that's what I really wanted to do. I wanted to create things. I wanted to make things. I wanted to give people platforms. And I thought the best way to do that would be by acting. So I went to college. I studied performing arts, which entailed everything. Like I wouldn't have said this back in the day, but I was dancing. I was singing. Even though I can't sing, I was like, (laughs) I was doing voice. I was doing, um, we had a teacher that used to get us down and do some military kind of drills, just so physically we were in shape and we had the endurance to, to kind of perform for an amount of time. So it was similar to sports and that. So I could see the kind of transferable things that I had. And so I did that for a while. And then I, um, uh, there was a point in time where I was like, do I go drama school or do I go uni? Mm-hmm. And um, you might even remember this, but something happened around, you know, around the time when we was about 18, something mm. kind of big happened. There's a lot of people that went to prison at the time, yeah. certain things. And I, and I hadn't applied for drama school and I hadn't gone for my auditions, but um, there was a university that I, that I attended. I went to like a summer school and they were like, yo, we want you back. Come, come back, do a three year course with us. It's a brand new course, but come and do it with us. Mm. So I went there, I went to Bruno and then, um, I studied there for three years and that kind of set me on the path to becoming a director. Excellent. Um, are there any books growing up that kind of, that, that inspired you to want to go down that road, inspired you to know that you can get into this world? You said there's a common myth, which I'm sure mm. you grew up with in maybe your, your early teens, that only the middle class are kind of involved with the theatre and that, that could have that could have plagued you basically and said, "Well, I can't, I can never be involved." Yeah. Was there any books that maybe helped to inspire you besides maybe your positive influence, like I don't know, parents and friends? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a book, and it, it had nothing to do with drama. Okay. It really had nothing to do with drama or the performing arts in any shape or form. It was um, a, a very obvious book that everybody's probably read here in this in this space. If you ain't read it, my god, but. Um, <laughs> The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho, like that was a, that was a massively influential book for me. Um, and I think purely because it just gave me the drive, it allowed me to kind of understand my own power, mm-hmm. my own truth. And um, it just pushed me to, un- to, to, to kind of take the next step and to kind of journey into the unknown, just like the character does. I can't remember his name. Yeah. Um, Santiago or something Santiago, like that. Santiago. Santiago. Yeah. See, yeah, yeah, yeah. Santiago, he kind of takes this journey, man. And once he once he gets on once he gets on the journey, he can't turn back, mm. which is the brilliance of it. It's because he because he's gone so far now, he actually cannot turn back. So every day is a new journey, is a new day. And um, I think that was the thing that kind of yeah, just gave me Started. the empowerment to say yeah, 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 I jump on this. it, man, do it, do how, do something that no one else around you does. Yeah, how old were you when you read this book, and who introduced you? Uh, oh God, I, I don't know if I can tell you introduce me just in case my missus is listening. No, actually, no. I'll, I'll big her up. Still, um, there was a there was another actress who I was who I was working with at the time called um, Alicia um, Charmaine Price, who had the book and she used to go on about it all the time. And she introduced, like a lot of us, you know, we get introduced to books by 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 the women that kind of guide us or that that are with us, yeah. you know, mums, aunties, sisters, lovers, whatever. So um, she she kind of introduced me to the book uh, in my really early twenties, okay. and that was the thing that made me um, kind of latch on and kind of discover my own power. Did you have a, a love for reading prior to reading The Alchemist? Yo, I hated reading, man. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I loved it when I was a kid. 
but um, as I got into school, I was really illiterate. Like mm-hmm. I, I was, at the bo- I was in bottom sets, man. Mm. So it became a, it became a, a bit of a barrier to me actually reading, and um, I didn't, I didn't understand it. I didn't understand why, why I needed to do it. I didn't quite understand the power of books at the time. So um, yeah, me and books weren't friends for a long time. Mm. And then as I got through college, I had a, had a really good teacher called Zavrina Wilson who used to put books on us and give us plays, which were much easier to read because I can understand that text. It was text that people would talk, people would speak. So dialogue, I was Conversation. like, yeah, mm. I understood that. I got everything out of the dialogue. I got everything out of the text. I didn't need to read like long didactic passages that would swirl around what the hell they wanted to get to. Mm. Yo, the character yeah. would just say what they wanted. Yeah, straight to the point. <laughs> straight to the point. Yeah, yeah. And, and like now when I encourage young people to read, I give them a play. Mm-hmm. 50, 60 pages, they can get into it. They get a story. They get the understanding of it. They take what they want from it. and um, But it encourages them to read. So that was the thing that got me into it. And I, it, like, that's like... I mean, it would be a cliche for me to say, yo, theatre saved my life, but it, it really did. It kind of, yeah, it really did. So as it, at the moment, I know obviously you do scripts and everything. How often do you read a, a fiction or a non-fiction book? Almost every month, if I can fit it in. Okay. At the moment, I've read, a, oh gosh, like this month has been the month of reading, mm. August, um, more predominantly. So I've, I've been... Um, I read for many different companies. So I read about a hundred scripts over, you know, over a month. I've read about, yeah, roughly about a hundred scripts. But um, every so often I, I try and fit a little novel in or a self-help book. Mm-hmm. I, um, and um, I'm part of a book club called Love of Culture Book Club. And um, at the moment we're about to read Afropean. That's new, isn't it? Is that, yeah, 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 it's yeah, pretty yeah. new. It's got a few good reviews. Yeah, and the, um, the writer's coming in come and talk to us about about that book Dope. um i've just read safe which is by derek Owusu, uh which is another it, which, well it's safe it's all in titles about black men reclaiming space mm-hmm. it's an anthology of about 21 essays 22 essays okay. about black men's experience really mm-hmm. like well, the diversity the, the of black men yeah okay well in the uk in okay. the uk so it's much more specific much more pointed to our experiences, okay. but it's all across the UK. So yeah. you've got black men from Hull, you know, mm. having conversations. Yeah. You know. Is that very similar to the, I forget the name of the book that we just mentioned, the European one, um, Afropean? Yeah, I haven't I haven't started reading Afropean yet, but um, I, I feel like it's probably the same in, in regards to it being an okay. essay about black experience or, or, or a kind of mixed race experience, mixed race identity yeah. within the UK. So um, I look forward to seeing that and, and to reading it and seeing how um, he responds to our questions and yeah, man, what comes out of that? Uh, do you write as well? Do you write plays? Yeah, I haven't written in a bit though. Okay. When, I guess when, like, I've had a child and this is my greatest excuse. So <laughs> I've got a little boy <laughs> and he's four years old and he demands a lot of time. Congrats. So thank you, brother. So my greatest excuse is that I don't have the capacity or the brain to write. But secretly, I am scrolling away. I've always got things, ideas. Mm -hmm. I always write moments, you know, whatever comes into my head. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes it's the beginning of a play. Sometimes it's it's, um, the beginning of a book of some sort. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I'm always writing in all honesty. But I also say to the public, "Ah, I haven't written in about four years, man. 
What's the difference between writing and directing? Did, I, I did nothing silly, bro. Nothing is ever silly. But um, we did um, when you're filming, you're basically uh, when you're di- when you're directing film, you're basically both. Mm-hmm. Like you're directing those scenes, you're directing those shots, and you're also kind of writing in the moment. Because if you got no money you got to make something work. If you can't get a space or something, you got to make something work there. So you're rewriting in your mind there and then. Do you know what I'm saying? So um, the, in, in the theatre world, it's, it's, it's very different. You know, you're a writer, you train as a writer usually, or you go to programmes that that, um, that kind of develop you as a writer and then you kind of hand over your play and then the director takes it, interprets it and then puts it on. So the the kind of the fundamental things is 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 one is a um I guess one creates the the the, the kind of transcript or the blueprint, and then the other person builds the director kind of builds it, you know what I'm saying? So the director becomes so one's the architect and the other's the builder. Yeah, okay. So um yeah, <clears throat> sometimes you're both. And then um, the book that I always go to is a book called The Chimp Paradox. Yeah, I've heard of that. It's yeah. a bad boy book yeah, I've heard by of Professor St- um, St- uh, St- Steve Peters. Yeah, and it's um it's a mind management book. But um, a friend of mine's uh, was going for a relationship thing, and he was like, "Yo, this is the book that I'm reading. It's helped me to understand my relationship a bit more. It's also helped me to break up my relationship." <laughs> <laughs> but but he needed it at the time. And he was like, yo, I'm passing this on to you because I think you're doing so much right now. Like you just need to focus your mind a bit. Mm. And um, essentially the, the premise is like, we've all got this chimp inside us. And it's a, you know, it's a really basic concept, but when you hear him talk about it and talk through it, you go, yeah, cool. I see yeah, I'm, it. I'm, I'm w- definitely aware of it. Yeah. yeah. So it's an interesting concept. The chimp is kind of like our emotional, um, it's kind of like our emotional part, part of the, mo- the, the emotional part of our brain. Mm-hmm. And then you, the person, is kind of the logical. But a lot of the time, we let the chimp take over. Like chatter, like constant chatter. Constant chatter. Mm. But like constant, like he talks about um, flight, fright. Yeah, flight or fight. F- or, or fight. Yeah, yeah. And like that's, your chimp's always on survival instincts. Mm-hmm. So how you interact with people is survival instincts. Like there's nothing considered it's all instinctive, which is good in some areas. It's reactive. Yeah. Mm. So when you're in South Africa and a man's talking to you to come over to the corner and you're thinking, rah. <laughs> you're the chimp. You're like, yo, chimp, where are you right now? And the mm. chimp's saying, yo, cut out as fast as you can. Great. The chimp works in that moment. You're in a, you're in a scenario where there's 10 police officers surrounding you. Yo, you don't want the chimp to get involved then. You want the, the, the logical Logic. brain to come in and tap in and go, all right. It's mad because exactly. I remember, I don't even remember, it's Mason. We watched Gone Girl together. Oh, yeah. We sound like. No, we sound like you went to Gone Girl. This week's cool, bro. We were with other people. It can be fun of It's cool. It's acceptable. We were with other people. It's okay. We always go, yeah, guys. Yeah, what's Gone Girl? No, it didn't quite work. We're not going With more guys. You're double dating. You're double dating. No, it's fine. It's 2019. It's okay. 
Niggas going somewhere else. Very aggressive over here. No, I can't remember who we watched you with. Watching with girls, we did. That's not just me adding to the story. All right, I remember it was like. All right, and I remember. I remember during the what do you call it during the film because mate, what? What did Mace do? Give you some popcorn. Mace give you some popcorn. No, he didn't. Mace like, see, see. Look what she's doing. See, you sat right next to you. He might have went like, <laughs> <laughs> might across, all right? I can't remember. But he's like, see, see, look what she's doing. I'm kniving. And when I, and I, I don't know why, I just loved the film. And I thought, you know, I'm going to buy the book. Bought the book. And every time, when I read... Nah, you, thought of, you thought of Mace when you read it. <laughs> you know what, just move on. Let's move on. <laughs> now we're here for you. Go ahead. <laughs> nah, it was just like a case of... Um, you know, you killed me. <laughs> Let's move on. I'll move on. Let's move on. I was going to um, ask, see when you're reading, do you read more than one book at a time or one script at a time? Always. Okay. At the moment, I, I, I just said I'd like, on the way down, I, I'm reading a hundred scripts at the moment. Seriously. So some I'm listening to, I put into a voice recorder, I put into a voice recorder app mm. and some I listen to, mm. the ones that are a bit, more um, confusing. I listen to them to see mm. if I can just concentrate. So it's something we, that it, of your mind when you're sitting and you're reading something, yeah? And then when you can hear something in your ear, mm. that you can then relax all the other senses yeah. and start to focus on another sense. So you've got the sense of, of hearing, obviously, and then you've got the sense of like your imagination mm-hmm. that allows you to visualise things. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm when I'm working on something that's a bit more complex, I I tend to put that into the the app. But um, yeah, I read, I, I go, yeah, man. Sometimes I'm like I've, I've got 1984 on the, oh. I've got 1984 in the mix, yeah, man. Yeah. But I've got that in all the. One of my favorite books. Yo. Yeah. Serious. And like, it's so relevant now. Oh, I say that to everyone all the time. So every relevant. year. Every year. Every year. Every year. It's be more, more relevant, relevant every year. Have you seen the film though? Nah, I've never seen the film. The film's nutty still. I've never seen yeah. the film. And it's funny because as you said, as we were just saying like when you read books, you have a picture of what it's like. Yeah. So I've read the book prior to read, watching the film and watching the film is, there is similar parts that it's described mm. in such a way. But yeah, obviously the director had a different kind of mind of mm, what so, I pictured yeah. when I was reading the book which is which is great in itself anyway, yeah. because you'll have a different perspective different of how it looks and yeah. things like that certain characters but yeah no, I definitely recommend watching the film as well French would you say it was in sync <laughs> the, the film and the yeah. um, who'd you watch can you ever, right, that's another right question right yeah. who'd you watch it with <laughs> By myself. <laughs> By myself. Okay, turn your popcorn. The fuck is. talking about me. Let's go. 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 Black people. No, 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 no. Just <laughs> say it, man. Uh, no, no, Brown no, no. people. I used to ask him for you straight away. Right? You so for me, no, because he didn't say what he said. You know, he said exactly what I thought he was saying. Um, so, so I was going to change the word to people. All right, block. Bongo us. All right. So why does it take us so long to um, like find that feeling, uh, the feelings that we're, we're discussing now in regards to? theatre and being immersed in the story and yeah. so on and so forth because I want to say oh so oh, occasionally I'll talk about um, where I f- first started reading and who I started mm. reading with but it was with him like we will we'll get books and we'll exchange yeah. who's him 
The camera. Spit rude. I, I didn't want to say his name then. I did in case he's anyway. It, yes. All right. <laughs> you over there. Yeah. So we would exchange books on and so forth. The Art of War, I think it was, and all yeah, that type yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then gradually it went on to books that were slightly bigger. The uh, 50th, come on. The, what's the, anyway. 50th law. Yeah, all floor. that type of wow. stuff, you know, and yeah. then so on and so forth. But I'm going to say we were 16, 17 at yeah. that point, you know, where it's probably too late from, not from an educational point of view, mm. but you've now finished your GCSEs yeah. and stuff like that. Mm. Why I'm now interested in these books, I have no idea, but I'm thinking, why are we not interested in these type of stuff? Three, yeah, just a little bit earlier. Do you know what? That, I can't remember what, what you said. Which Daniel. To what I was trying to say to you earlier mm. as to anyway, yeah, yeah. Daniel, you said something earlier. I can't remember what it was, but it triggered my mind, and it came back to education. It came about how do you embrace young people who are from a certain background, just like yeah. you were saying yeah. how like you're reading books because actually you can. You, it's relative to your environment, mm -hmm. or it was relative to your environment, so yeah. you can really relate to it. It's the same yeah. for me. In schools, it's a similar thing, like. Why are we not reading books? Why are we not doing history on? Why am I not that finding out? Yeah. yeah, why am I not finding out about like? So I've I've been, I discovered recently on um, on YouTube. Um, there's this there's this like there's these guys from Canada and they went and stayed with a Rasta man in Jamaica. Yeah, I can't remember what it's called for the life of me, <laughs> but he all he does for them is like, it's he just cooks meals cooks and he's, food. he's yeah, and yeah he's, I've he's, seen he's, it. Yeah, he's deep yeah, yeah. in the he's deep yeah, in yeah. like in the country basically. Yeah, yeah, he yeah, cooks, yeah, yeah, yeah. He cooks proper like food like yeah, but, everything. Yeah, everything. Yeah, but Even at the same time breakfast. It's seen there? breakfast. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, he's imparting knowledge on them and on, on the yeah. viewers and that. And yeah. I just like the way it proper engagement <laughs> because the way he speaks is how my granddad same, used to speak. Same, Do you get what I'm saying? Like he'll just be like, "Yeah, man, make your wood strong." But those are the things that are relevant to them, isn't it? To a man, it's a roots man. Roots man. Make your strong <laughs> all night long like just stuff like that and i'm just engaged because yeah it's you like, want that. no it's not even that it's just just the way you speak it like bro when and i then, went you talk about i don't know when the last time you went to jamaica was but i went two years, years ago, ago. Yeah, yeah. a couple of years ago i went two years ago son. and i went on my jays and the reason mm. being, i hadn't been for so many years yeah i said listen connect. let me just i want to take this connect. morning for myself yeah, i said yeah. I, I just want to do what i want when i want i don't want to i don't want people coming over <laughs> with me and wanting to do this luxury yeah. break i'm trying to really <laughs> take this culture in. yeah yeah plotted with my uncle for four for four five days left uncle uncle with his dog there duchess <laughs> left uncle and then like i just moved around the country bro yeah like, i just moved yeah jump like, on I, bus bro jump bro, on a bus didn't go that far but uh, see, nah, bro, nah, 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 see nah, that's nah, how you gotta nah, live the, though the coach, yeah the coach bus thing nah, nah, I jumped on the bus bus yeah, I jumped on buses <laughs> you <gotta laughs> my, live my properly, chip would have been like no but, <laughs> 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 but um, yeah I moved around I, bro, I had the best experience yeah. like best and I like to the point where like I was like I was proud you know like, mm. I felt proud again yeah. even though man was born here I just felt yeah. proud like yeah. mad proud and it's just that experience there like I want to learn about those kind of things I want that's you know what I'm saying I don't want to learn yeah, history is important in terms of World War One, World War Two, but they've been doing that same thing for World War, World War. What were yeah, we into? World War One started a hundred years ago, and you're still banging on. Oh, sorry, yeah, it ended a yeah, hundred yeah. years ago, and you're still banging. On, like, like, speak. Give me some stuff. I want to know about Powell in Jamaica. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. But there's two. There's there's two major things in that. Just going back to your question, there's two things in that. Yeah, there's the first one, which is relevant. How relevant? How relevant is it to us? Yeah. So we're doing World War World War One and World War Two, but they ain't telling us about the Sikh soldiers that sacrificed. Right. They're right. not telling right. us about right. Right. Yeah. They're not telling us about the they're not telling us about the generation of, of Caribbeans who put their neck on the lines. They're mm. not talking about yo, they're not talking about the Nigerian regiment that went to Burma, bruv. Mm. They're not telling you that. Yeah. They're just telling yeah. you. They're just 
They're just spouting it's whitewashed. Well, there you go. Bro, yeah. So yeah, that bro. relevance. And then the second thing, yeah, mm. which is a, a really important thing, and some people will say it's not, and some people will say it is, but it's representation. Are you rude, boy? Representation. Yeah, his story. If it's his story, though. Isn't my it? son mm. hasn't got nothing. The only he's got books that are with black characters in it. Mm-hmm. That's all he has. Mm. Every time he opens that book, yeah, he's got a couple of Marley books, got a couple of books from Trish Cook. Yo, every time he opens those books, yeah, he's like, yo, that's me. Mm. He, I don't, I don't coach him. I don't tell him to say that, but he sees a little boy, yeah, with a trim. When he had plats, he was like, that's me. Mm. When he see, you know, the little boy had rusters, he sees it. He's like, that's me. Mm. Yo, that's the most powerful thing in in his in his four years of living. That's the most powerful thing that he's saying. He doesn't even know it yet. He doesn't mm. even. But every time he opens a book, he goes, <clears throat> "That's me." Or he'll be like, "That's Anushka," which is his which is his friend. Yeah, yeah, which is his friend. He'll be like, "That's Anushka," and for him, yeah, growing up, he is represented. Yeah, 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 yeah. In those books. Mm. So when it comes to bedtime, if I tell him I'm taking a book away from him, yeah, for his bedtime, because he hasn't been behaving or nothing, it is like World War Three. Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, I didn't even, you know how much I love that? Mm, yeah. That this little boy here is going, no, you can't take away my freedom and my liberties. That's what he's really saying. Mm. Like, I'm exaggerating, I'm a dramatist, yeah, yeah. that's what I do. But... <laughs> <laughs> like, he's like you can't take away my liberties like because that is me seeing me for the day mm. that is me being represented for the day and the relevance when he hears the little Jamaican accent mm. even when I die a little rasta mouse it's a mouse you know mm. it's not Peppa Pig mm. you know what I'm saying he's talking in a British accent and it's rasta mouse you know he's talking about Mouse Tigo Bay so mm. when I tell him about Mouse Tigo Bay and I'm telling him about Montego Bay he's like oh it's the same thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is where man comes from. Yeah. So that rep- that, that that representation and the relevance <clears throat> is so important. And I think those are the things. That's the reason why young people ain't reading. Mm-hmm. If I gave man a grind book and said, yo, listen, there's a book of lyrics by blah blah blah. And I told him man to go out and spit that or sp- or spit a pa- or spit a couple 16 bars, go up on stage for your assembly, instead of writing reading a passage from you know, Animal Farm. Mm. Like, that was the thing that got me into reading, mm. to be honest. But mm. instead of reading the passage from Animal Farm, I said, go and read Wiley's book and come down and spit one, two bars of his. And they jumped on stage and did that. Yo. Involved. What? Yo, the power of that. Mm. The power of them reading someone like my, you know, my own contemporaries, Arunze <coughs> Kenny, who's an actor, but yo, the man's a bad boy writer. He's like a bad boy writer. I wrote something called Misty. If I gave them that and said, yo, I need you to read a bit of this Misty. It's it's basically bars. Mm. Okay. But it's a story. Uh, any more questions before I ask the last three? Um, no, no, I don't have any more questions. Not from me, man. All right, well, what we do on um, Fully Booked Meets, we ask, I tend to ask three last questions, then yeah. we, we wrap it up. So the first one would be, um, what are the three top values that you bring to your business or where you work? Kindness, man. Kindness is always at the top there because I think that just opens doors and allows people to, to understand you and know who you are. I think openness is so super important and, um, and a hard work ethic. Those cool. are the values that, you know, Hopefully, will will keep me um, pushing and moving on in my career. Cool. 
Um, second question. If you had three realistic wishes, what would they be? Wow. Three realistic wishes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for some sort of pluralism in this country, man, and around the world. So people that kind of accept each other for who they are and can get on board with that and allow that to just be. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not asking for people to love each other, although that would be great. Mm-hmm. But kind of some sort of some sort of pluralism across the across the world. Um, um, gosh, where's the other two? Where does the other two fall into it? Now I'm just thinking more selfishly. Uh, I would love for for me more personally just to have a space in a different country mm-hmm. somewhere nice and warm that I can retire to mm-hmm. never whenever it gets too cold here or whenever it gets too tough that it's just another space and um, and the third I guess the third thing is that all my people elevate man yeah yeah I'd love for that to happen across the globe as well that we all elevate mm-hmm. we can all elevate yeah, I love that yeah love that. I guess the last question being, uh, what three books could you not live without? Wow. So I've said two of them already, actually. So um, uh, The Chimp Paradox is something that's really important. The Alchemist is the next one. And the other one is, um, oh gosh, it's completely... um, Chinua and Chebi. um, Oh gosh. Not The Celestine Prophecy. Nah. I've just said that it was a savannah, but it's the one before that. Um, things fall apart. Okay. That book there. Yeah. Things fall apart. Yo, I can't live without that book, man. Cool. That book there. Yeah, special. Well, you heard it. You heard it. Tell me what you love.